Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our listeners joining us today. Joining me is writer, journalist, editor, broadcaster, former communications and corporate communications intern, former distinguished video coordinator, and my good friend, co-host, David Bourne. So, you have so many job titles, so much experience, and with all that, I understand you've got a new project you're working on. Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, sure. So, um, of course, if I weren't a huge baseball fan, I wouldn't be on here, but I am a huge baseball fan. So uh, one thing I've been doing during this quarantine is I've been watching some of the, uh, the Korean League, the KBO. Yes. And, um, yeah, as, uh, as somebody who's trying to get into the media field, as you mentioned with that uh, extensive list of <laughs> former job titles, uh, I've been looking for um, ways to boost my portfolio during, uh, during this time while um, – um, most you know American sports are on hold, so I've been following a couple of the teams and craft or crafting rather some media relations guides stuff like that, and I'm hoping that uh, by the end of this whole thing, I could have a nice little project to uh, send to potential employers. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And by the way, every time you're on here, I'm going to introduce you like that. Um, <laughs> that's right. I appreciate that. It makes me feel a lot um, more important than I probably really am. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so are you following like a specific team? Like, what are you doing with that? How, how in-depth are you going? Yeah, I'm going with uh, – there's a team over there called the Giants. And um, there's a couple former big leaguers on the squad. Uh, Dan Straley, the pitcher, who is the one I remember the most. Uh, Adrian Sampson played at Texas as well. Um, last season that's a name I remembered and then uh their shortstop's name is Dixon Machado he is a former big leaguer as well yeah I admittedly he, I don't I don't remember him but um he might have been on Tigers, to, but yeah he, he may have been that yeah um I've been looking into him a little bit but uh yeah so I'm just trying to follow those guys create game note sheets similar to what I deal with whenever I'm either working internally or externally as a member of the media and um Hopefully, like I said, I'll, by the end of this, I'll be able to have a nice little package and can send it out to people and maybe get a job. So, but it's a great yeah, way yeah. to uh, to get involved with baseball and stay busy at the same time. Yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that. So, it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, are you staying up until three, four in the morning watching these games? Like, are you just looking at the uh, box for the next day? No, thankfully they're showing uh, a lot of the replays on ESPN throughout the day just because there's no other programming to come on. But um, there have been a few times where I stayed up. I know the first night me and you were texting each other about, I think it was the Dinos, and I can't even remember who they were playing. But um, I only stayed up a handful, or no, even less than that, probably two or three times just because those are real late nights if you're willing to stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning. To that, and, you know, that's when the games start, so they don't finish until – the sunrise <laughs> you know, so. yes yeah 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 no i got i remember watching that game i was just so excited to watch and i stayed on until i saw bat flip on a home run um <laughs> yeah they, they were really hyping those up too so it was good that uh they finally got to see one especially in that first game it was a great way to introduce everybody to i guess the korean style of play yeah, no, my favorite part of that whole thing is the mascots. I don't know if you're seeing them or, like, the cheerleaders. They're all, like, <laughs> they got, like, face masks on, like, the mascots, and they're all staying, like, six feet apart. But then um, yeah, they're all these pumping up the non-existent crowd. Yeah, like, why do they even need to be there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I sort of like it, though. Like you said, like, it's, it's hilarious to watch, and I think it adds, like, a little just bit of comedy to, like, a very – bizarre situation you know that they're playing in these empty stadiums so uh it works i guess <laughs> yeah 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 uh, hopefully uh as much as 
we wouldn't like to see the empty stadiums. Hopefully the MLB and this the Players Association work out a deal, um, even with the empty stadiums. I, we, I think we all just want to see games at this point. Um, but, yeah, that's been a hot topic lately. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole negotiations? You know, at first I was strongly on the side of the players, and I thought, like, all right, these owners are billionaires. They should just be willing to pay these guys, you know, what they originally, originally agreed upon, like prorated salaries and all of that. But as time goes on, it just seems like a really childish battle between millionaires and billionaires. You know, and I, I'm hoping that they'll be able to work something out. But the players proposed that 114-game season, which was just too long. You knew that was never going to be officially what it came down to. But then the owners are now saying that they're not even going to counter that offer. And if they're going to play, it's going to be like 50 games, which would – honestly be pretty exciting to watch but like it wouldn't really be a real season so I'm sort of torn on how I feel about this whole thing like I said I think it's just a really stubborn argument now at this point how about you what are you thinking yeah um at first I was on the side of the owners just because I had no information I'm like these guys are getting paid millions of dollars like what do they care and then like as the owners have started cutting the minor leaguers over essentially like a million dollars to pay these guys like per month and just hearing about like how much these guys are worth like mark lerner the owner of the nationals my team the guy is the richest owner in baseball and he's cutting salaries like but so yeah now i'm much more on the side of the players and then as is going on the back and forth what I'm really upset about the whole thing is no one is looking out for the best interests of baseball. Like the owners have taken wins for 50 consecutive years, something like that. The players, their salaries have increased every single year for since at least, at least 25 years. Since the beginning of time. Yeah. yeah like, the, like everyone has been swinning for so long. And then to take this extremely short-sighted approach to the entire thing, it's just extremely sad to see when they have so much to lose by not even having a season. That's a really good point. And this was a great opportunity to really grow baseball or you know, put baseball back on the map. You hear all the time about how uh, stadiums are more empty you know, every year and the viewership is down on television. So this whole quarantine situation, if they could have just jumped on top of things right from the beginning and worked something out, it would have been a great way to really try to invite people back to the game. But as you mentioned, this debate between both sides just completely ruined the chance of that. And it's, it's hurting the game overall in the long run. Yeah, no, we've got a good friend. Uh, I'll leave his name out of it, but he's been bashing the MLB <laughs> because <laughs> I mean it's been pretty bad to see like there's nothing like nobody's looking good at the end of this um yeah I, I think Manfred needs to step up and be like hey I'm the commissioner we're having a season this is what's going to happen like just you know like they were the first <laughs> to start the negotiations because they of the four major sports they're like the ones that are best equipped to play a season because there's not as much contact as you would get with hockey, basketball, or football. And they're just ruining it. I, I don't know. But, I, I mean, I've, I just really hope we don't get a 1995 situation where the whole season's just canceled over money. But I, yeah, I, that'll happen. So, 
fingers crossed. Yeah, you mentioned people bashing the MLB, and at this point, I can't judge anybody who looks at the situation that Major League Baseball is going through and like and says this is ridiculous. Like, just work something out because that's how I feel too. Like, as you said, you guys win every single year. Players, owners, whoever you know, you get paid all of that money. You're raking in just millions of dollars. You can work something out in this one strange season you know just for the betterment of everybody else yeah there were so many options to make it like a fun season too like start on july 4th fireworks going off start with an all-star game of what of like just to draw the people in get the best talent on the field at the start of the season and then everybody goes off into their teams or whatever there was that option uh there's like a tournament style thing they could have done there's there were so many options to bring in so many people and I think this just further drives that nail in that, like, it, it's losing its touch with the American public, which is where football is filled in, basketball is filled in, and hockey, I think, is starting to fill that gap, too. But Yeah, hopefully they can get something worked out. Because even just, like, records and everything like that, it's all going to be skewed now if they don't play at all. Like, there's going to be so many what-ifs, you know, what if – Mike Trout had that extra season. What if Albert Pujols had a hundred more games, you know, stuff like that. All these records that are just going to be, I guess you're going to have to put asterisks next to them now and things of that nature. So hopefully they can get it going. Yep. I'm, I'm keeping the fingers crossed. Um, I think regardless of what happens, I'll continue to be a diehard baseball fan. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I'm not going to quit. I'll be annoyed, but there's as soon as it comes back on, I'll be watching again and I'll be in the stadium if I can be. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I cannot wait to sit at 25 Pirates games uh, this year, <laughs> if it happens. Yes, man. There, there's nothing better than on just like a 70-degree summer night when you're with a couple of your friends just, you know, messing around half the time, paying attention to the other half, and just having a good time. Like, that's yes. one of my favorite things to do. Yes. That, that's the great thing about baseball is there's so much – downtime to endlessly analyze the game or to just hang out have a conversation like there's not constant action where you need to like shut up and watch it's unless you want to do that and I think that's one of the cool things about the game that it is poetry in motion if you want to watch the poetry if you don't you still can be enjoying it yeah that's how I feel too. like it's you, you like you said you don't have to just sit there and be glued to the game the entire time like yeah. Unless you really want to be, then that's cool too. But when I'm with a couple of my friends and we're cracking jokes or watching a ball game, whatever, I'm, that's one of my favorite positions to be in. Yep, yep, yep. I agree 100%. So a great thing about the sport of baseball is there's so much rich history that goes along with it. So this brings us to our next segment, Today in Baseball History. And that hopefully gets us to spark a topic of conversation. So we're recording this on June 4th. So June 4th, uh, 2009, the Giants beat the Nationals 5-1 to in the first half of a doubleheader. Randy Johnson allowed two hits on one run in six innings to win his 300th game in the major leagues. So my question to you are we ever going to get another 300 game winner? That is a very good question to ask. And it's, I guess in this era where like hitting has just sort of taken over with, you know, the juiced balls or whatever you want to say, it is a little tough to figure out and with pitch counts and all that. But, um, 
I'm trying to think of guys now that might even be close. I don't have a list of, of pitchers in front of me, but like off the top of your head, do you think there's any current players who could potentially reach that mark? Because right now I'm going to go with yes, but it, if so, it would just be like one or two guys who hit that mark again. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm trying to quickly look up the active wins leaders. Um, um, but I, I think like the – Leader right now is I would say somebody like Verlander maybe would have to yeah, be up there. It's either Verlander or uh, Kershaw because he's been around for a while. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, active. There we go. Um, and both of those guys since the beginning of their careers have have been pretty dominant. Yep. 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 So. Okay, so Bartolo Colon, I guess he's still technically active. Um, I don't know how, um, seeing how he's 46 years old. But <laughs> he's at 247 wins. Uh, yeah, so Verlander, I guess, is the real current active leader. He's 36 years old, and I'm guessing he's about three or four more years left. He's at 225 wins. Yeah, he's not going to get there. Uh, yeah, Zach Granke. He's 35, so a year younger, and he has 205. I don't know if he's going to get there. Uh, yes, yeah, so, looking at these, because I pulled them up too, I might just change my answer to no, like, especially as time goes on and, and people <laughs> keep pitching less and all. Like Garrett Cole, he's got 94 right now. He's, what, 28 years old? Like, nah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> so, I'm gonna say no. I, I don't know what you're thinking, but just looking at these numbers does not have me feeling promising about it. Some of these numbers are all actually pretty appalling. Too, like Rick Porcello, 149 wins. I never would have guessed just that. About, I was just about to say Rick Porcello, 149. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a name I expected to see in the top 11. But uh, good for well, him, I guess. No, but, yeah, he's 11th on the list. But, like, he also gets the most run support, I think, ever. Like, <laughs> yeah, He has been on some pretty good teams for his entire career. Like, Detroit, uh, Boston, of course. Yep. All those teams were just scoring a ton of runs. Yeah. But, and, like, gosh. Yeah, Kershaw, I think, has the best shot. He's 31 and has 169 wins. But here's the thing. He's losing – 15 to 20 starts this year and he's had a history of back problems which is never good yeah i and i just don't really ever think it's going to happen and just going along with that it's you're also talking about how the game has evolved nobody's going seven eight innings every time out it's no. five six and this is where I think the game we might see a big revolution is if you look at a team like the Dodgers, <laughs> we were texting back and forth last year in the playoffs, how it's just completely unfair how they have like eight viable starting pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think this is, a, this might be the only realistic team that has a shot to do this, but what they could do is have a four man rotation Four-man rotation. Every guy goes four or five innings and then is piggybacked on by the next guy going four or five innings. And then you yeah. just have like various relievers um, along with that. 
And I think that's where we're going to see a massive paradigm shift in the game is teams are going to start to do that because they're realizing if you can get three, four, five innings of elite pitching, then you're much more valuable than a guy giving you seven, eight innings of pretty good pitching. Especially with this new, like, pitch count craze and, you know, everybody's arm is falling off by the time they're 30 and all that. I think, like, as you mentioned, starters aren't going to just go seven as time goes on. Like, and you even see it with relievers now. More uh, relievers are willing to go two innings. You have guys like Josh Hader who can come in. I guess he's an anomaly of sorts, but he pitches three. You know, he comes in and pumps three innings worth of 98-mile-an-hour fastballs past people. Like, that is ridiculous. But, um... He also strikes out everybody. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he had – go oh, ahead. Man. It's going to be fun to watch to see how baseball changes as time goes on because I think, like you talked about and I just stated as well, starters aren't going to go as many innings as we saw before. Guys in the bullpen are going to have to step up. Like everybody is going to have to sacrifice in a little bit to make sure – other people's arms stay intact, you know, rotations can flow perfectly and things of that nature. Yeah, no, um, the Nationals, they had, uh, I think, oh God, I want to say 2018, Jeremy Hellickson was on the team. And his numbers show he rapidly decreases in effectiveness as soon as he goes through a third time in the order. So, like, the first few times through the order, so about anywhere from, like, six innings is, like, nobody gets on base facing the minimum to, like, five, um, four or five innings. So, what he was doing was he had this, like, four-start stretch where he was throwing, like, 65 to 80 pitches going five innings, and then he was just pulled. (laughs) And, like, the problem with that is, like, he's ready to go – He's on three days rest, but the five-man rotation is just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but So, yeah, circling back to the question, no, I do not think we're going to get a 300-game winner. I'll have to agree with you because before I was looking at the numbers, I said maybe one or two guys. But now that I see the active – like Bartolo Colon has been pitching for 21 years, and obviously he's never been – like an absolute animal at any time, but he only has 247. Yeah. You know, so I, I can't see it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not getting it, but so I think, yeah, that ends that segment. And then we're going to go on to one of my favorite things, I think for the future of this, uh, the trivia question, 21st century trivia question. And this, the idea of it is to stump either David or our guests um, so here's the question. Who led the MLB in triples from 2000 to 2009? That decade. In triples? Yeah. Jeez. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think of, like, guys that got a lot of hits and are also – maybe, like, somebody like Ichiro could be an – but he was more of, like, a base hitter, so I don't think it would be him. Yeah. yeah. Um. I'll give you a clue. He won an MVP. He won an MVP. Uh, I don't think Joe Maurer either. I can't imagine a catcher legging out too many triples. But uh, I don't even know, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's a tough one. Alex Rodriguez, maybe? 
Nope, nope. The answer is a Philly guy, Jimmy Rollins. Yeah, oh. 95 triples in that decade. <laughs> and yep, then, uh, I should have got that one, I guess. Huge Phillies fan <laughs> here, but. Um, yeah, no, in his uh, MVP winning season 2007, he had 20 of them, wow. which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we can both agree tri- a triple might be the most exciting play in baseball. Um, you never see it. Yeah, so I have I have an idea on how to increase them. Every ballpark in left and or right center field, left center or right center, have a triangle of sorts where it just – the wall is 400-some feet away <laughs> and just watch guys run. So, like, I want something like uh, the – like the Pirates, the left center field there, the little triangle there. I want something like Boston's triangle. I want something like that because I saw Prince Fielder hit a triple in uh, – <laughs> he, he, the only reason he didn't get an inside-the-park home run is because he tripped around third base. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but I want to see more triples, and I think that's the best way to do it. And that also, like – you know what else it gives you? Sick catches. You're gonna have guys like Kevin Pillar making all-out diving grabs, or uh, what was that? What was that guy's name? Gregory Polanco and Matt Cain's uh, perfect game. Yeah, like I want something like San Francisco. Like I want guys making sick catches or hitting triples. I think I know you, Blanco, Gregory Blanco, or something along that. Name. I remember exactly. He had like slicked back hair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I want to see more triples. But so I'm with you there. Um, I guess it would that would be a whole generational shift to have like stadiums adjust completely like that. But it would be cool to see, as you mentioned, you barely ever see him. But when you do see him, you remember him. You know, like you said, I know I was there when Prince Fielder hit a triple and he slipped around the. I remember uh, there was a pitcher in the Phillies organization. His name was like Ruben. It wasn't Ruben Tejada, but it was something along that name. And I was there when he hit a triple. And it's something you always – because a pitcher hit a triple. When does that ever happen? So, it's fun for the fans. and It would be cool to see more of them. Yeah, no, Archie Bradley hit a triple in the wild card game against the Rockies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Um, but, yeah, no, something like Arizona. Like, they got, like, the big cavernous left center fields. So they got a lot of triples there. I want to see it. I want more cycles. I want more – yeah, I want more of that. I think we can get it happening. I'll just write a letter. Just Yeah, one really strongly worded letter. Send it to Rob Manfred. It'll probably deliver directly to his doorstep, and Honestly. he can make the change. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he's not getting anything else done, he might as well get on these teams to let, let <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, not, not a bad idea. Go, might as well. What's the worst that happens? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Jimmy Rollins – he won an MVP, and so that kind of sparked an idea we had for the rankings this week. And so in my long con to get David to appreciate previous baseball history, um, <laughs> what I've asked him to do is we're both going to do it. We're, uh, we ranked our top five MVP seasons from the decade of 2000 to 2009. So we're going to have our top five. I'm guessing we'll have the exact same number one, but let's, uh, David, start it off. Who's your, who's your fifth best MVP season? All right. So, um, as you said, it was 2000 and 2009. So I do have some recency bias in here and this one I put in, cause I just remember how fun it was to watch. And, um, it was sort of rare also, but Joe Maurer, 2009, 191 Ooh. hits as a catcher. 
I used to catch when I was growing up, so I just thought it was the coolest thing that he was going out there catching and raking at the same time. And when you're slashing with a 365 batting average, a 444 on base percentage, 587 slugging to go with those 191 hits, and you're pretty solid behind the plate, I can respect that in every way, shape, or form. So I, I went with Joe Maurer as my number five. Yeah, I think he was one of my first few that were like the first few out. So he's not in my top five, but he was, I was considering it heavily just because of like the catcher aspect of it. And he was like the first ever catcher to win like a batting title. And he won three of them over his career. Um, local Minnesota guy. That was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, he just missed my top five. But yeah, no, solid pick, honestly. Um, it's a real shame how his career turned out due to concussions, you know. He had to retire a bit early. Um, yeah, I think – and he's sort of like the new reason why guys don't catch all that, like for 12-plus years. Like that's going to be a dying thing too. Guys like Molina, they're, they're a dying breed. People aren't just going to sit behind the plate for 12, 13 seasons anymore. Yeah, like an Evan Gaddis or Brian McCann. I remember Brian McCann was like sick. Yeah. <laughs> Because he would hit nukes, too. He's a big dude. He would come up there and park balls into the crowd. Yeah, he, he's, like, a good trivia question guy because I think he went to – I think he started, like, six, seven all-star games in a row for the NL. As like yeah, the he was, guy. yeah, and I guess you're a Nats fan. I'm a Phillies fan. We saw him however many times oh a year just tearing teams apart. He, he was a really solid player for a while there and doesn't get a lot of credit. Yeah, no, and another Braves guy that doesn't get a lot of credit uh, just going off the rails here is Freddie Freeman. That dude murders the Nationals. <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot stand Freddie Freeman. But here's the thing. He's probably like the nicest guy. But, yeah, no, he doesn't get any credit for his due. But, yeah, Freddie Freeman, another great player. <laughs> yeah, another stud for sure. Every year, like you said, against the Phillies, against the Nats, he's just super consistent. Yep, yep. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll get my number five out there. Um so, I, I, just as a prerequisite to this whole thing, I didn't want the whole thing to be Barry Bonds. So, <laughs> I, I tried switching it up a little bit. And, um, but I think my number five had to be a guy I think I would never, ever want to pitch against based on the run he went on. But his 2006 season was ridiculous. Ryan Howard for the Phillies. 58 homers, 149 RBIs. And here's the thing with him. He hit over 300 with a 425 on base percentage, uh, 659 slugging for a 1084 OPS, 1.084 with 383 total bases. Like, I'm a huge Nats guy, but, like, that, if I ever had to pitch against a basher like that, I just don't know if I could do it. Because at any point, the dude easily, if he wasn't walked so much, he probably could have hit, like, 65 home runs. So, there's no way I'm pitching that guy. Yeah, and one of the crazy – that was only his, what, second or third year in the league, his too? second year, yeah. Yeah, granted, he was already pretty old by the time he came up. But still, your second year in the majors, and you're belting out 58 home runs. <laughs> like, I don't care who you are or what the situation is. That's, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, yeah. And actually um, – well, all right. Well, now I'm looking at it. He started in 2004 wearing number 12, by the way, yeah. uh, which is interesting. But – from 2000, 2005, he won the Rookie of the Year. 06, he won the MVP. And then from 06 to 2011, he finished in the top 10 in MVP for every year. 
So that's six consecutive years. And I also wanted to talk about the Ryan Howard years because you look at that six-year stretch and you're a Phillies guy. At the end of 2011, people are like, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. In a six-year stretch, he hit 262 home runs. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. And it also brings about the tragedy of Ryan Howard is – his last at bat of 2011 was in the playoffs when he tore his Achilles. Yeah, and that was pretty much what all led to, I guess, his career demise. Like, he got old, and he got old very quickly, partially because of that, that Achilles tear. And yeah, he had a really sort of depressing way of going out in Philadelphia. Like, he wasn't playing well. He was making a bunch of money. The, the crowd was booing him all the time. And it was sort of sad to see, like, that guy was on top of the world, like you mentioned, for five years, and he was just an absolute dog. So, yeah. for him to go out in the way he did, it was it was tough. But um, Ryan Howard, it, I'm always going to love him. I'm a Phillies fan. Like, my childhood is going to the park and watching Ryan Howard just crush baseballs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all for, I'm forever going to be grateful. If, if you have two or three bad years at the end of your career, but you brought a championship to the city, you won an MVP, all that, I can – I can pardon those couple of seasons. Yeah, no, I, I really thought he was going to be a guy going to the Hall of Fame. And it's um, like, that's it, what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. The dude easily could have got 600 plus homers if he just stayed healthy. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was a stud. Yeah. Let's, let's hear uh, your next pick there. All right. Um, I went with somebody who arguably could have beat Ryan Howard out in the 2006 season for the National League MVP. I went with Albert Pujols in 2008, 9.2 war. He hit 357 with a on-base percentage of 462, 37 dingers, and he walked 104 times. Yep. So um, Albert Pujols is another one where I feel like his sort of recent slump combined with that bajillion-dollar paycheck overshadows everything he did for 10 seasons there. Yeah. But as his nickname, it, he was a machine. He was an absolute hitting machine, and he just went out there and raked. So I, I had a lot of fun watching Albert Pujols, especially in the 2008 season, which I remember pretty vividly. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. Um, the dude really was a machine. He could do no wrong. He stole bases. Like, <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy. Like, one of, like, the smartest guys on the field. Um, but – yeah, no, and, and like a great all-around great guy. He's like a great player, great man. You know. Yeah, you never hear anything bad about him whatsoever. Yeah, no, he starts. He started this awesome uh, charity work with uh, um, Down syndrome kids, and he has like a whole Albert Pujols day where like they come to the park. Um, oh, good. Uh, yeah, another great story is uh, like on that day, like one kid, like the first time he had it, one kid whispered in his ear, "Hey, can you hit a home run for him?" He's like. I'll do my best. <laughs> and he did two that day. <laughs> so the next year, this kid heard about it. And so this other kid asked him, hey, can you hit a home run for him? He's like, I'll try my best. He hits another one that day. Yeah. <laughs> next year, hey, can you hit a home run for him? Another home run. Like, the dude, he granted wishes. He parked home runs. Um, 
he hit his 400th and 500th career home running as the Nats. Um, <laughs> but, Everybody was getting those milestones against the Nats. Like Barry Bonds, I think, hit oh, the record God, against yeah. the Nationals. Like the pitching staff was just so bad at that time when <laughs> people were taking full advantage. Yep, yep, yep. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, my fourth pick is 2007 A Rod. Um, the 143 runs scored, ridiculous. 50 homers, 156 RBIs, 422 on base percentage, 645 slugging, 1067 OPS, a 176 OPS plus. He didn't strike out as much as Ryan Howard, which is why I have him a little bit higher. And he had 376 total bases. Another guy that was just raking for a very long stretch of time. Um, his career, <laughs> very interesting. Um, his post-career, uh, the way he's been able to like, turn it around, and now he's like this super likable guy, who I think is actually going to be a manager someday. The way he's talking about it, I really think he's, he's going to be pursued as a manager, kind of like an Aaron Boone. Um, yeah, I can see it. But, so, yeah, that's my fourth pick. Alex Rodriguez is a guy – he's a very controversial figure. But, number one, when you look at those stats from that season, it's just appalling. And then you mentioned uh, Albert Pujols could swipe some bags, too. 2008 – Alex – or 2007, rather, Alex Rodriguez had 24 stolen bases to go along with all of those other things. You might, like, yep, yep. That's just five cool. You know, he's playing solid defense. He wasn't really a third baseman. Like, absolute unit. Yep, yep. <laughs> And he played great defense. Yeah, like you said, I think you said that. Yep. Yeah, and that wasn't even his position yep. <laughs> at third base. Like, and he was still doing a great job. Gosh. But, yeah, all right, let's hear uh, your three. All right, so you said you tried to avoid Barry Bonds, but uh, this is sort of where my list turns into the Barry Bonds show. I, I didn't – I always knew Barry Bonds was a stud. You know what I mean? But until I really looked at these numbers yesterday, I don't think I quite – grasped how how much of a stud this, this dude was and like for my number three I have 2001 Barry Bonds who cranked out 73 home runs and I don't really think I need to justify that statement anymore like, I, I don't need to list any other stats or anything of that nature that is just insane yep yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he only he did that in 476 at bats. Granted, he had 664 plate appearances, but let me just do some quick math on that. Um, 476 divided by 73. So essentially, six and a half every six and a half plate at bats, he hit a home run that year. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm, I don't care how many plate appearances you have, how many at bats you have. If you have 73 home runs. <laughs> that speaks for itself. Like, hats off to you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And yeah, and before we get into the Barry Bonds show, um, I just want to share this five-year stretch he had. So five years, not the six-year stretch that Howard had. This is five years. He hit, oh, God, 258 home runs. <laughs> he walked – 872 times, along with 360, 306 intentional walks. 
and he did that against 316 strikeouts. So he was almost intentionally walked as many times as he struck out. (laughs) His on-base percentage was .535. So 53% of the times he walked up to the plate, he was getting on base. What in the world? Yeah, that's video game numbers, legitimately. Like MLB The Show type stuff. Oh, and to boot, his OPS plus was 241. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely yeah. insane. Yep. And, and see, my plan is working, everybody. David is starting to appreciate the older players. Yeah. <laughs> um, is Barry Bonds a Hall of Famer? Are you putting him in the Hall of Fame? Like, yeah. I'm sure the, the, a lot of our upcoming conversation is about Barry Bonds. So just to spice it up a little bit, are you putting him in the Hall of Fame? Yep. Yeah, I, I think he should be in there too. He was a Hall of Fame player before he became huge. Yes. <laughs> Transformed. Yeah, yeah. And he just got a lot of flack. He got a lot of put on his shoulders that he really didn't deserve. Um, kind of in the same far lesser way than like LeBron gets stuff put on his shoulders. Um and he just really didn't know how to deal with it, and he got a bad rap for it. LeBron is praised for it because he knows how to deal with it. Um, but, yep, I think he's all yeah. I think I'm with you, too. I'm, I'm putting him in. I, but you need to, like, for the kids to understand that go to the Hall of Fame, because that is a very sacred place. There needs to be some sort of thing that says, like, like some kind of, like, background on how he got those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah, but so like I'm putting him in the Hall of Fame. I'm not putting Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire in the Hall of Fame just because their numbers were solely dedicated to the steroid use. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. But like when you have biceps the size of somebody's thighs, you know, it becomes a bit more apparent that uh. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. So my number three pick. This was the only unanimous winner of my top five. Um, because surprisingly enough, Barry Bonds did not win unanimously um, in any of his seasons. I don't know how. Um, but, yeah, so I, my unanimous pick uh, was 2009 Albert Pujols, a bit better than the 2008 version, I think. But this is just my opinion. Um, so 124 runs, 45 doubles along with 47 home runs. Ridiculous. Um, and here's, here's another great stat, 115 walks versus just 64 strikeouts. And, yeah. And he also got walked intentionally 44 times on top of that. Um, but, yeah, and then he hit 327, 443 on base, 658 slugging, 1101 OPS, which is awesome, just purely awesome. Um, machine, I think he won a gold glove that year, which is why I put him over the 2008 season. Um but yeah, 189 OPS plus. But yeah, let's get into Barry Bonds. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, all right, so I guess 2000, uh, 2002 is my number two on my list, Barry Bonds. His war, 11.7. He hit 370 with an on-base percentage of 582 <laughs> to go along with 198 walks. And he even stole nine bases. Yeah. Um, once again... <laughs> unit i don't have to go into those those numbers too much uh so i looked at the other side and miguel tejada was the mvp of the american league um 
I and when I was looking at the numbers, I thought Alex Rodriguez got a little bit robbed there. Um, but of course, Oakland had that huge year in 2002, so I guess that gave him the edge. But uh, yeah, overall, Barry Bonds 2002 is my number two pick. Um, I probably should have varied this list up a bit more, but when I'm looking at these numbers, I, I just couldn't couldn't do it. Yep. Nope. And that leads into my number two, and I, I was. I only wanted Barry Bonds on there twice just to give some somebody somebody else something else to listen to. So <laughs> I I really was wrestling with the 2001-2002 season just because if you want the power go with 01. If you want just the sheer awesomeness and just a wrecking crew go with the 2002 um because, yeah, he walked way more and struck out ridiculously less. 47 strikeouts in 2002. Um, and I, I really couldn't flip a coin uh, between – actually, you know what? I'll flip a coin. Um, we'll go heads, San Francisco – or, yeah, heads is 2001, tails is 2002. You ready? Yeah, go for it. Might as well. Hey, Siri, heads or tails? The modern coin flip. She says heads for the camera. For the camera. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, what was that? Oh, oh, one. So, yeah, we're taking the power here. We're taking the power. 73 home runs. But, <laughs> all right. I think we have the same number one pick. Should we say it at the same time? Oh, four, Barry Bonds. Uh, yep, yeah. exactly. That, <laughs> something different. Absolutely something different. And I don't even really – obviously, I was six years old, but, like, I don't really remember that happening too much. He was playing in San Francisco, too, so I was probably never watching the games. But when your OPS is 14-22, like, well, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? That out of this world. And he walks 232 times. Yeah, and guess is what? Is that a record? That's, that's got to be a record. That No, that, that blows away the record. And that yeah. doesn't even count – his 120 intentional walks. <laughs> the dude was not pitched to 352 times. That is half a season. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I do remember the videos of him, like, the bases would be loaded, and they were intentionally walking. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> And it made sense. Like, normally that would be asinine. You know what I mean? Like, what the heck are you guys doing? But it made perfect sense when you realize that he's hitting 362 and slugging 812. Come on. Like, my Yeah, goodness. no, and here's the thing. Like, like uh, the series that broke Bryce Harper, quote, unquote, um, was when they walked him, like, 15 times the Cubs walked him like 15 times or whatever um including seven in one game um it went to like the 13th inning so that's why he got so many at bats but like he was walked so many times not getting anything to hit and guess what he still hit 45 home runs 27 doubles like he was still just raking along with not getting pitched to like I don't even understand how you can do that like, yeah it'd be really interesting to see like the breakdown of what kind of pitches he was – like, how many fastballs was Barry Bonds seeing per game? They couldn't have been a lot. Yeah. Or just how no. many pitches in the zone even. Like, Well, okay, yeah. So, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you watched it or not, but I sent over 
an SB Nation video, and the whole premise of it was what would happen if Barry Bonds never took a bat up to the plate. And the, but the kicker is, like, the pitchers don't know that. They think he still has that bat. So the only way you can get on base is to walk, get intentionally walked or hit by pitch, or he strikes out. And <laughs> so, like, baseball reference is great. They have all the game logs and the at-bat breakdown, and they were able to figure out, do all the math and whatnot. So in real life, he had a 609 on-base percentage, essentially getting on 61% of the time he walked up to the plate. All-time record, obviously. Um, <laughs> um, so they did all the math. They figured it out. His on-base percentage would have been 0.608. Jeez. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if you haven't watched it, uh, or any of our listeners, go watch SB Nation, Barry Bonds, What If. Um, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, they do a really good job of visualizing everything. Um, but, yeah, and here's the thing with Barry Bonds. He, he was 42 years old. He played in 126 games, hit 28 homers, walked 132 times, got on base 48% of the time. An OPS over 1,000. And he just retired. Like, oh my god, it, it's not even fair. No, that's that's something else. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's not not really words to describe the stat line like that. You know, it must be a whole lot of fun too. If you're getting on base sixty percent of the time, geez, every every game is like a field day. You're just doing what you want at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, gosh. But, yes, yeah, so that rounds out our rankings, I think. Um, Dave, Dave, you want to run from the top? Give your rankings. Oh, the rankings? Yeah. Yeah, I will. Uh, so, I guess just in recap, I had uh, 2009 AL MVP Joe Maurer, 2008 NL MVP Albert Pujols, and then uh, the Barry Bonds show began. I went with 2001 Barry Bonds, 2002 Barry Bonds, and then – the numbers that are just absolutely appalling, as I've said like three times now, is 2004 NL MVP Barry Bonds because you, you can't top that. It'll probably never be topped. Um, hats off to you, Barry. Great job. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. I, I think he, he, he did what he wanted to and broke baseball. Uh, but, yeah, so my top five, uh, 06 Ryan Howard, 07 Alex Rodriguez, 09 Albert Pujols, and then my – 2A and 2B, I flipped the coin. 01 Barry Bonds won over 02 Barry Bonds. And then uh, number one, 04 Barry Bonds. Um, but, yeah. So, we're going to keep doing rankings or we're going to draft something every show. And I think that was a great kickoff to the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun to look through the other stats, too. Like, Oh, yeah. When you just – gloss over these years and you see weird things like Aaron Hill had 195 hits in 2009 or you just feel like the weird names that had these remarkable seasons like it's pretty mm -hmm. cool to look at yeah and I also like looking at the um the voting breakdown um to see like really 2004 Barry Bonds did not win unanimously yeah. <laughs> and here's the reason why uh let me see if I can pull it up real quick um he did not win unanimously. He got 
24 out of 32. He didn't even – it wasn't even close. <laughs> Come close. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adrian Beltre got six first-place votes. And, um, well, here's why. He had 200 hits compared to Barry Bonds, 135. He hit more home runs by three. He had 20 more RBIs. Um, but, yeah, like the – the batting average wasn't close. On base percentage wasn't close. He had 388 compared to Barry Bonds 609. Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yes, was over a thousand, but like, come on. Uh, Albert Pujols got a first place vote. Um, he had 123 RBIs. Scott Rowland got a first place vote for St. Louis that year with 120. I, I don't know what. I, yeah, I don't care what Scott Rowland's numbers looked like that season. It is criminal that he was voted over Barry Bonds for first place. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Scott Rowland was worth 9.2 wins above replacement that year. All right, all right. I'll, I'll give you that. But still, yes. Bonds is yes. still higher. Yep. <laughs> 10.6. <laughs> oh, God. This is actually pretty interesting to look at. The three, four, five were all from St. Louis Albert Pujols, Scott Rowland, and Jim Edmonds. <laughs> wow. Jim Those Edmonds. Cardinals teams were pretty ridiculous when you think about it. Jim Edmonds hit 42 home runs that year. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's somebody who doesn't get talked about enough, too, because he, he also played some pretty solid defense. And just wow. pure hitting machine. Like, <laughs> my dad loved Jim Edmonds. That's part of the reason why I'm on the Jim Edmonds hype train, because my dad was always talking about him. But, um, yeah, he was a monster. I, I had this whole stigma about him. It was just being, like, a light-hitting – insane center fielder but now like just looking at that oh my god yeah i need to look learn more about jim Edmonds. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he had 42 homers in a season <laughs> all right um but so i think that ends the rankings and then we're going to go on i think this will be a fun segment here um david and i have we bond over song lyrics i guess you could say um so i asked him to find a song lyric um and just to share with us um, give you a little background on it if you want what song is from. Um, so do you have one? Yeah, so um, just running with the baseball theme, I figured that there would be some sort of like hip-hop or rap lyric or something about it because there's athlete references in all of those songs. But it was surprisingly a lot harder than I anticipated to find baseball references in those songs. I, I would have bet my life that Drake had one, but I couldn't come up with a good one. So um, instead, I, I threw it back a little bit, and I picked Simon and Garfunkel's Mrs. Robinson, uh, Where Have You Gone, Joe DiMaggio, Our Nation Turns Its Lonely Eyes to You, a woo, woo, woo. Um, figured that was a fun one. I'm a big fan of that song, too, so that's what I went with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a great one. Um, funny story about that. Joe DiMaggio was not supposed to be a part of that song. It was supposed to be Mickey Mantle. Really? <laughs> yep. And the reason being is Joe DiMaggio, that has five syllables. Which yeah, it fits better. The Mickey Mantle, which only has four. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like the Simon, they, those guys were huge fans of Mickey Mantle. And they were actually pretty good friends. And Mickey Mantle's like, hey, what, what, why is it DiMaggio? <laughs> it's like, yeah. It just didn't fit. Like, it just sounds way better saying DiMaggio. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, that definitely sounds better too if you sing it out. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that that's a funny song. Yeah, no, good lyric. Uh, big fan of that, Mrs. Robinson. Um, so I didn't even think to have like a theme with it. 
I just went with something I liked, and I guess I also have a kind of funny story with it. Um, <clears throat> so this comes from uh, Lil Wayne's song, Let It All Work Out. Um, so he says, had to swallow my pride, though, swear it tastes like spearmint, which I think is a pretty cool poetic way, because um, it's like, because what I envision is like swallowing like your pride, and I, like he was also chewing my, chewing some gum when he's doing that, so it tastes like spearmint. <laughs> uh, and but it's funny because when I first heard the song I originally always thought I didn't even hear like the first part of it or it was like had to swallow my pride it was all, all I heard was swagger tastes like spearmint which I think is much cooler to say because <laughs> like yeah like swagger like you're chewing some gum you feel pretty like you got some swagger about you. you know? Swagger tastes like spearmint, but um, I think it's much more poetic the way he says it. Um, <laughs> That's another letter you could write, like along with the letter to Rob Manfred, you can send Wheezy one and just be like, hey man, like I really think you should consider adjusting this lyric. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure you had some big meaning behind it, but just for my sake, please change it yeah. to tastes like spearmint. Um, <laughs> just to please me and only me. Um, cause I'm sure nobody else even knows what that song is, um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't heard it, it's a great, it's great bop driving along, um, uh, for the kiddos. It is explicit, uh, <laughs> as is comes with the territory, I guess. Yeah. As is all of Lil Wayne's work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, big fan of that song. And so that, that wraps that up. And I think we're going to move on to my favorite part of research every week and that's going to be the fun story i find so if you'll humor me david i'll share this amazing story which i think you'll find pretty amazing so let's hear it buddy yes the first person so this yeah this this story talks about the first person to attempt to hijack a domestic commercial airline um a commercial air airplane and the first person to do that in the united states was a brooklyn dodger <laughs> So commercial air travel was not a common way to get around in 1935. Uh, most baseball teams, like most people, still took trains for long-distance travel. So attempts to hijack a plane were incredibly rare. And yet, Len Konecki has the dubious distinction of being the first person to attempt to hijack an airplane inside the United States in 1935. So a bit about Len Konecki. He, uh, Major League Scouts thought he had all the tools to make it as a pro but they did warn that Konecki was kind of an eccentric. So, and along with that, fellow minor league players frowned on his copious drinking habits and belligerent rants after having a few drinks. But he persisted. He knew he could play Major League Baseball. And he had this great season in 1931 with the Indianapolis Indians. And he showed such promise that the New York Giants, before moving out to San Francisco, bought Konecki from Indianapolis for $75,000 in 1983. 1932 a bit of an aside uh the way minor leagues worked compared to now is they weren't feeder systems it's the minor leagues kind of just existed and if major league clubs wanted to buy that player from that team they could <laughs> and that was really how the minor leagues were able to survive for so long was they all they really hoped for was just this one great player that they could find have them play on their team and then just wait for the best offer to roll in which I think is a pretty cool part of baseball history. Um, but yeah, so Giants manager, John McGraw, Hall of Famer, was excited by the prospect and went on the record predicting that Konecki would become one of the top outfielders in the National League. 
And he played decently for the Giants, but not up to the standards and was demoted in season to the um, Buffalo Bisons. So it kind of, the way the minors worked was you could buy a team, buy a player from any team, but you could demote them to your minor league team. Very confusing. Um, but that was just kind of the way it went. So for two seasons, Konecki flourished there. He, uh, yeah, so but one day he was a pleasant man. Next he was like a crazy man. But he did well enough <laughs> at Brooklyn Dodgers manager Casey Stengel. This was before he was manager of those legendary Yankee teams in which he won seven World Series in 12 years. Uh, another crazy story with that. But so Casey Stengel had him brought up in 1934. Uh, Brooklyn agreed uh, that Kaneki would be awesome. And in 1934, Kaneki hit 320 and led the Dodgers with only 14 home runs, which is crazy to think about for leading a team. But yeah, he played <laughs> solid outfield, made only two errors, leading the league. So he was great. The Dodgers finished sixth place, though, at 71 and 81. This is when they played 152 games, and it was basically just the best team in each league plays each other in the World Series. So, but the one bright spot of that team that Stengel thought was he had that rising star with Konecki. Uh, the 1935, uh, by 1935, Brooklyn was known as Dem Bums because they were considered such a losing team. But as bad as they played, Brooklyn still loved them. And that 1935 season, they started with great hopes because of this guy, Konecki. But uh, the hopes died quickly as Konecki kind of just fell off the face of the earth. And as the season wore on, Stengel started blaming him, uh, the decline on his drinking, and he benched Konecki and replaced him with some light-hitting scrub. Uh, <laughs> and as the season wore down, Stengel verbally abused Konecki as he rode the bench and fell into a dark mood. And then finally, on September 15, 1935, in Chicago, Stengel put Konecki in as a pinch hitter in the ninth inning, and all poor Len could do was hit into a ground out. So the next day, Stengel released him, and this is really where the story starts to pick up. Sorry for the long pro, pre, prologue. prologue. Um, I think it's prologue, right? Yeah, but it comes before story yeah um but yeah so the next day stenger released him uh when he got the news of the release Konecki stormed out of his hotel and promptly bought a bottle of whiskey and then he boarded american airlines flight from chicago to detroit <clears throat> um but so a after he got good and drunk uh he was kind of grabbing the stewardesses and insulting the other passengers <laughs> uh it got so bad that the pilot even had to leave the cockpit and pulled him down as they shackled him to the seat. <laughs> um, he fell asleep chained like a wild animal. Uh, but <laughs> this being a much more innocent time, when the plane landed in Detroit, uh, they kind of just carried him off the plane and left him in the terminal to sleep it off. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, what a great idea. Would not happen today because he would immediately be arrested. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but... So he eventually woke up and he got on a flight for Toronto in the hopes of getting back to that Buffalo team with which he had played so well for uh, just to finish up the season with them and then try to put the, put his life back together. So he had good intentions. Uh, the Toronto flight had Konecki as the only passenger on the flight, which is kind of interesting. And as the plane was nearing Toronto, Konecki broke out another bottle of whiskey. 
<laughs> uh, the pilot said Kaneki became restless and started grabbing at the controls. This was in the time where the cockpit was kind of open. Uh, so the pilot alleged that Kaneki wanted to take over the plane and get it to go directly to Buffalo. Because <laughs> I guess he was so drunk, he's like, why are we going to Toronto? <laughs> so the pilot and co-pilot tried to push the suspended Dodger out of the cockpit, but he was obviously too strong, major league athlete. Uh, the plane was lurching in the sky, and the pilot got co so concerned that they were probably in danger of crashing. And so the pilot on record goes, I had to come to a decision. It was either a case of the three of us crashing and dying or doing something to Kaneki. So I grabbed the fire extinguisher, fire extinguisher and walloped them on the head. <laughs> nice. He fell back into the aisle and was knocked out. The pilot finally took control of the plane and, to, and had to crash land on a Toronto racing track. And so after they landed, made sure they're, the pilot and co-pilot okay, they went back to check on Kaneki and actually found him dead. The police were called and Kaneki was taken away by the coroner and the two men were questioned by the police. The two men never went to trial and the coroner's report stated that Kaneki died from blunt trauma to the head. It seemed that the pilot may have hit him more than once with that fire extinguisher. But that is probably the wildest ride I've ever seen with a baseball story. <laughs> yeah, it took a really morbid turn at the end there, but um, that is a pretty crazy story for sure. Yeah, and I've, I've never even heard that before, before I started looking for something. And, yeah, it was really just crazy to see that, like, the first ever plane hijacking was a, a pissed-off Major League Baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But, so, yeah, that kind of ends our show. But if any of our listeners have a fun baseball story they want us to talk about, trivia they think can stump david or our guests you can be a part of this show all you have to do is reach out to us on either instagram or twitter so on instagram we are very active there we post at least every day uh, you can dm us at sometimes baseball and on twitter you can reach us at sometimes bsbl so the instagram spelling that out is s-o-m-e-t-i M-E-S-B-A-S-E-B-A-L-L. -S -S -E and on Twitter, you can reach us at S-O-M-E-T-I-M-E-S-B-S-B-L. The reason they're different is Twitter, they only allow 15 characters for your handle, uh, I guess. But uh, I don't know. But, yeah, thank you so much, David, for coming on. Any last thoughts? Not really. I mean, uh, overall, just thanks for having me on. It was a great time. And hopefully – Sometime in the next month or two, we'll be watching um, our favorite teams playing baseball. I'm with you right there. I hold that same sentiment. Uh, thank you so much. Can't wait to do this again. We'll have you back on soon. Thanks again, man. <laughs>